said, another place they brought me a cup of coffee. Nobody knew what I was drinking, but the thing about it, these ushers put this in a clear glass. <laughs> now, <laughs> the smell of that, I don't know. <laughs> if I get to acting funny up here... <clears throat> So drink any deadly thing. This reminds me, one of sister told me, she said she was in a church one time, and they were taking communion, and of course they were serving wine. They had a big goblet, and they were all standing up in front, and they'd sip it and pass it around, and in walks the town drunk. And <laughs> said so what he did was he saw where the goblet was. Only two people had taken a little sip out of it. He just snuck right in the line. Just barged right in the line. She said he had a big grin on his face and hadn't shaved in a few days, had no teeth. Just like that. <laughs> she told this to be the truth. I don't know if it But when the goblet got to him, he turned it up and he just drank it all. He had it he had it run off his chin and everything. Said he just took his sleeve and did like it. He smiled real big and he says, I just love my Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what this is. I'm a little hesitant here. I think Greg Martin had something to do with it. <clears throat> now, there are laws against <clears throat> drinking and driving. I don't know about drinking and preaching. I, I assume this is apple juice. I'm going to trust. I think it is. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> don't you wish you had a glass of this? <laughs> well, turn to Acts the 10th chapter. I've been having some throat problems. That's what brought all this up. I might even have more. Pardon me? Yeah. Yeah. Acts the 10th chapter. I don't want to read six verses. I have uh, <clears throat> undoubtedly preached on this passage of Scripture as much as any passage in the Bible. Because it does raise some very valid questions. Acts the 10th chapter, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Now that's an army. And a centurion is a ruler over 100 men. So he would be considered a captain or whatever. A devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming in to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. And he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And you may be seated. And I did announce <clears throat> that I was going to speak on the subject. Why good men go to hell. Now that's pretty strong language. And, and I... I don't want to sound judgmental in this message, uh, and I want to point this out, because sometimes 
in making a stand for the scripture, we can develop the wrong attitude toward people. Uh, I, uh, I especially want to emphasize that. I put, a, I put a very strong title on this for a reason. I think sometimes people need to be shocked in order to see the truth of the Scripture. But I think that Christ should be basically preached with love. Paul says to the Philippians, he said, some people preach Christ for contention's sake. In other words, if you are a believer in the truth, and you know the truth, you can always win an argument. After a while, <clears throat> your primary objective is not to save souls, but to just win arguments. <laughs> Put people down. And what I want you to understand that uh, while I do not believe that Cornelius was a saved man, and I'll, t I'll show you the reason why, because if you look in, in chapter 11, let's just go ahead and we'll jump ahead just a little bit. Chapter 11, verse 14. This is Peter giving the account of what the Spirit spoke to him concerning. Pardon me. <clears throat> Acts eleven fourteen. Well, let's uh, back up to uh, to verse uh, twelve. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him. Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. As much as we would like to point out <clears throat> the commendable characteristics of Cornelius, the scripture makes it very plain that Cornelius was not saved. <coughs> now, he was a good man. I mean, he was a very good man. We want to point this out in this message. But he was not saved. Now, because that he was a good man and because he did good things and because he honored God, uh, that denoted his faith or what he did was a direct result of faith that he had in God. God was moved by love and compassion and saved the man. Now, the point that I want to bring out is that sometimes when we look at people that we feel that are not saved, we develop this harsh, judgmental attitude. In order to get them saved, we feel that we just have to totally just blow them away. And when we don't show love and kindness to the individual we will not be able to see that person brought to a point of conversion. In other words, if the Lord so loved Cornelius <clears throat> that he would give him a vision and speak to him directly as to what he needed to do or who he should send for, don't you think that we should be moved by the same love and compassion that God is moved by?
Now, I'm sorry to say this, but but I, I think that I, I should, I'm sorry that, that this occurred. I think that I should say this, though. When we were at our general conference, <clears throat> there was a, one of the security men that obviously had had uh, entered into a conversation with uh, with a, a member of one of our churches. Now, I happened to know the man. Uh, the man had moved away from Wisconsin. I knew the man quite well. The man has been to our campground, camp meetings and such. I have ministered several times in church service in which he was present. But he had this security man cornered. And I stood there and listened for a few moments, and I, I wanted to butt in. Uh, I, I felt that I should, but because of so many people in the area, I thought, well, I'll probably only add to confusion. But this, this security man was saying, but I go to church. I love God. I, uh, I'm doing everything I know to do, and you're telling me. He said, I don't care what you're doing. You know, he said, this is what the Bible says. He said, you don't have a, enough of God to, uh, I don't forget what he said, but man, he just, and, and, and the man says, in other words, you say that my walk with God is, 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 is not good. He said, that's exactly what I'm saying. He said, uh, uh, I don't remember what he did say, to tell you the truth, but anyway, he was talking to a man about going to hell. And uh, he told him, he said, you don't, you, you know, you just you have just a, enough God to blow your soul into hell, but not enough to save you. I mean, he was just right down this man's throat. The poor guy, you know, he just, I mean, he was just, huh. you know, I felt sorry for the man, you know. And uh, I, I just couldn't believe the harsh attitude. I thought, in the first place, you'll not get anyone saved with this kind of an attitude. And let me just point out something. To all of you, if you really believe that you need to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with tongues in order to be saved, you should seek out a Bible productive means to see people do that. I teach a lesson in our Christian stewardship class, and the lesson is entitled, Traveling in the Right Direction. Most of you were not saved the first time someone preached the truth to you. But it was through much love and much compassion that uh, you were brought to the truth. From God and from uh, different brothers and sisters in the church. Now you can always get a few scriptures under your belt, you know, and feel like you're Mr champion as far as Christianity is concerned and sometimes you can do more harm than good because if I understand Philippians the third chapter correctly when too much attention is called to self you become an enemy to the cross that saved you so if you are preaching Christ you should project the characteristics of the Lord to the people and the attitude of the Lord and leave yourself in the background. I think that is that is extremely important. Now, on the other hand, <clears throat> I think that we owe people a good straight answer. 
Now, I have given people scriptural answers, and I've had people come up to me and say, Oh, you don't think I'm saved. And they will want me to tell them, Am I saved? Well, <clears throat> naturally, I'm not the judge of the, the world. I'm not. The, all I can do is just preach the Word of God. And I just refuse to tell people that. And the reason why is because what they want you to do is say no so they can get mad. That's usually what they want you to do. You can always tell, if they, you know. <clears throat> so they're, they're finding reason. I'm not going to give them a reason to get mad at me. Now, I do feel, however, that, that, that uh, we do owe good straight answers. Now, I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm going to go all the way back to 1964 on a, in a Sunday paper in Houston, Texas. I was reading an article written by a world-famous evangelist. I call his name. All of you know because he travels throughout the world holding huge crusades and coliseums in different places, up to 50,000, 60,000 people. But this is what happened. Uh, in this particular Houston Chronicle, he had a weekly a column in which people wrote questions. So he's... He's answering these. The, the lady wrote this question. She said, uh, Dear uh, evangelist or whatever, you know, uh, I have a neighbor that says that she is not saved. This neighbor never goes to church. This neighbor does not claim to be Christian. Now she says, I go to church all the time. I claim to be a Christian. But I will say this. That my neighbor lives a much better life than I do. She has more compassion for people. She cares more for people. I have never heard her use the name of the Lord in vain. She does not curse in any form. I occasionally do. Could it be possible that this woman could be saved and not know it? And, of course... Uh, the evangelist said, well, yes. There are a whole lot of people that will go to heaven that don't know they're going to heaven. That uh, all you have to do to be saved is accept the Lord into your life. And some people do this. He said, I'm sure that a lot of people will be in heaven that heard me preach on radio or television or in some of my big crusades that Subconsciously, they accepted the Lord. They don't know that, but they did, and they will be saved. Now, that's certainly contrary to Scripture. That's just contrary to Scripture. And somewhere along the road, you know, you have to, you have to take a look at what the Bible says. See, and this is, this is the reason why that I feel compelled to do this now. You never want to put anyone down because of the good things that they are doing for God. In the the last few scriptures of Acts 18, if you have your Bibles, you might just turn there. I'll just I'll just go through this. I think starting with verse 24, verse 26, uh, <clears throat> you find uh, Apollos was was ministering. Now the Bible says that he was a he was fervent in the spirit. He knew the scriptures. 
But the problem was that he only knew about the baptism of John. In other words, he knew about God, but his knowledge was limited because nobody had taken the time to tell him differently. He, in other words, he lived in all of the light that he could live in. Because light comes to us through knowledge. See? Uh, Paul says this in Romans 10. He says, Call upon the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall he preach except he be sent? So, <clears throat> here's a man that, I mean, he was preaching what he was taught. Now, when Aquila and Priscilla, who were good friends to the Apostle Paul, when they heard him preach, they knew that he was not preaching the full truth. They knew that. Now, <clears throat> sometimes you can hear preachers for years and not know what they believe. I'm assuming back in those days that if you heard a man for 10 or 15 minutes or maybe longer, you knew what he believed. I know in yesteryear, around the turn of the century, it was true here in the States. Now, with this mellowed down feeling of not wanting to hurt anybody's feelings. Well, and please understand the balance now. All right? That, uh, you know, you can hear preachers sometimes for a long time. You just don't know what to believe. I was in a panel discussion one time and and the question was asked what does it take to be saved so they asked me they asked several uh, we had a Jehovah's Witness man we had a Mormon man we had a, a Catholic priest we had a Jewish rabbi uh, we had uh, an Episcopal priest and a Lutheran priest and a Baptist minister and when the question was asked several of the men would not say he said well it all depends Depends on what. Aren't we all sinners? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When they heard this man preach, they knew that there was something lacking. They went and explained the word of the Lord unto him more perfectly. Now, he obviously accepted it because the Bible says, then he began to declare the Jesus Christ of the Scriptures. And then if you go into chapter 19, you will find that the Apostle Paul, who was very much acquainted and good friends to Aquila and Priscilla, that he went and found certain disciples of John, obviously disciples of this man who loved God, Apollos. And when Paul met these people, his disciples, what happened? The first question he asked, have ye received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They said, now we have not even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now Paul's second question, and a very important one, was how were you baptized? They said, unto John's baptism. He said, oh, but didn't John say that there's one mightier than I coming after me? And that you should believe on him. 
Now the Bible says when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And Paul laid his hands on them and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see how conversion took place. Now, those people who were in Ephesus worshiping, along with the man who was no doubt responsible for uh, their conversion, when they heard the light, the truth, they saw more light and heard the fullness of the truth, they quickly complied. They, They wanted to do it. And I know that, you know, the question comes up about sincerity. Does God save a person because of sincerity? Well, you can be sincerely wrong. I mean, you can be sincere in your wrongdoing. See, you follow what I'm saying? And, and this is something that, that, that we, need to, we need to fully understand. I, I, I think uh, <clears throat> there are certain things about our culture, our democratic way of thinking, you know, we, we're very independent here in the States. We don't like for people to tell us what to do. We brand churches that want to tell you the truth as cults. You know that? And we, we talk about people who have rights. Now, you can have a right to do something and still be wrong, not be right. Because rights are based upon the law, but all laws are not in according to the scripture. All right. Now, <clears throat> I want to point out all this because I don't want anybody to, to look at these people that I've called attention to and feel that Pastor Grant says, well, these people, they, <laughs> they don't have an ounce of God. I remember one time I was in the presence of a minister and he was talking about somebody else. He says, ah, that old reprobate. He said, he doesn't have an ounce of God in him. He looked at me and asked me what I thought. Well, obviously, it's not what I think. <clears throat> I would say this, if he doesn't have an ounce of God in him, he probably wouldn't be breathing. Somewhere God's got to touch his life to give him life, you know. <laughs> but that was just his attitude. And uh, I didn't want to be... Sucked into this situation where I, you know, I don't know why, but so often I get involved in these where people want me to tell them, you know, at least they want they want my opinion of it. I wasn't I was not going to give him my opinion. First place, I wasn't really for sure I even knew who he was talking about and how in the world could I judge someone. Now, <clears throat> what I want to do, however, I want to point out the quality of living that this man exhibited, or maybe I should say, the excellent qualities of his life. In Acts the 10th chapter, starting with verse 1, this man was a man of responsibility. And this is something that that I don't know hardly how to... Uh, I don't think you can overstress this. Because we are living in an age in which people are just not responsible. They're just not responsible. I was with a group of our ministers not long ago, and we were having a roundtable discussion. And one of the men just stopped, and he said, can I ask something? He said, are any of you men having problems getting people to commit themselves? 
And one by one, they all raised their hand. I said, yes, I'm having a problem with that. He said, now, when I first started preaching several years ago, I had no problem with it. But it is difficult to get people to commit. It really is. People want uh, God, but they kind of want God as a a sideline. In other words, let me come to church, let me sing, let me lift my hands, let me worship, but I will not involve myself. Now, the Lord tells us that He came not to be ministered to, but to minister. And servitude, to be a servant to people, is one of the greatest ministries. Or it is, it's, it is the name of the game in Christianity, discipline and servitude. And, but you see, what happens is we, we like to come to church. We want somebody to bless us, somebody to tickle our ears uh, Somebody make us feel good. We like to leave and forget it all. Just forget it all. Now, <clears throat> the, the problem that you have is, is in, in balance. That which is secular and that which is spiritual. Now, you have a whole lot of people. Now, I, I, I used to feel that if a man would uh, commit himself to secular responsibilities, he probably would to spiritual responsibilities. And I made that statement, but I think I did that just because I was a greenhorn preacher. Because <laughs> I've, I've lived long enough to find out that's, that's not really true. Sometimes the reason why people cannot commit is because they are overcommitted to the secular. They become a servant and a slave for the things. <laughs> the, the rich farmer, I'll just tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And then I'm going to say, soul, take thine ease, eat. Drink and be merry. And can you believe the last word that this man ever heard on the face of this earth, as far as we know in the Scripture, was the voice of God that says, Thy fool. Now, that I'd hate for that to be the last words I ever heard. But at any rate, here is, here is this man. He was a responsible individual. But he had good balance. Listen to this. He was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house. Now, he was not only devoted to the cause of his country or to what I would call secular responsibilities because that happened to be his job. He was also devoted to the cause of God. The only problem that Cornelius had was that he did not have all of the knowledge that he needed to have about God. Now you have to understand, we have the New Testament. This man was not privileged to open Matthew, Mark, Luke, James, John, all of these. He was not, he was not privileged to, to, to open all of the, the epistles and, and the gospels. They were not written at the time. So, he only knew so much, and that's what he had been told. He was a devout man. He was one that feared God with all of his house. And I'll tell you, this, this word fear, you know, the reason why that I feel that so much wisdom has diminished. When I say wisdom, I'm talking about the ability to, to, to use knowledge. See, knowledge is... is 
is an assimilation, uh, the filing away uh, of data. But what are you going to do about what you know? Wisdom is the ability to take what you know and put it into practice. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the reason why that some people cannot do what they know they should do is because they have not created an atmosphere in which this can happen. Did you know that Israel reached such a low ebb in their esteem for God that when they went into captivity, God had to send a prophet around whose sole responsibility was to teach the people how to fear God. And the word fear, it doesn't mean tremble and be afraid. But that is not altogether, that definition is not altogether taken away. Anytime you respect, there is also this reverential fear. This man was a devout man. He feared God. Not only did he fear God, but he had a way of having all of his household to, to esteem God. Now, look at this. He gave much alms to the people. He was not a tight-fisted miser. If you don't understand what that means, that means a cheapskate. He wasn't a tightwad. You can not be a tightwad and go to heaven. Now, you can be conservative and you can be frugal. I knew of a couple, <laughs> seriously, that, that they were such cheapskates that when they ate, they would fry one egg and cut it in half. Now, if you want to do that in your lifestyle, that's fine. But when it comes to, to uh, helping other people... And when it comes to supporting the work of the Lord, you can't be that way. You can't be. And this, this man, though, now, he was not that way. He gave much alms. He did not only give alms, he gave much alms. And your attitude toward helping other people is so very important. He gave much alms to the people, and he prayed to God always. In other words, he gave much money, and he prayed much. Now, that's what the Bible says. So, he prayed to God always. Well, somebody asked me, how do you pray without ceasing? Well, that's very simple. You just don't quit. <laughs> I guess that's true. Well, how do you, how do you, how can you just pray all the time without? In other words, your spirit should be in constant communication with God. If you go to bed with God on your mind and a prayer, I mean, you you kneel, you pray, you get a hold of God, and you get up in the morning and you pray, and you should pray until you can't quit. That is the that's the see when the anointing of the Lord comes upon you and you feel this bubbling over inside of your soul. All right. Now, God saw this man's desire to serve him. He gave him a vision. Now, he gave him a vision to tell him what he needed to do. Now, keep in mind, <clears throat> the angel of the Lord spoke to him 
But the thing about it is, angels do not and cannot preach the gospel to people. He has commissioned the gospel in the hands of men. If you're waiting around for an angelic voice to tell you what to do to be saved, I would say you'll wait a long time. Now, if you're waiting around for an angel to tell you what you should do or who you should look up, that's a different thing. In other words, angels have a very, very important part in the work of God, but it's not their job description to preach the gospel to the saving of men's souls. It's just not their job. Now, so... An angel of God coming to him, he said unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, he was afraid. He answered and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Notice what happened. Now, he wasn't saved, but he had faith in God. And, and two things, his ability to help others, And his ability to communicate with God in prayer, uh, these were the two traits, the two qualities that really moved God. You know, I preached a message on memorial praying. You know, if you're praying for some lost soul, you have to understand that you're praying what I consider an impossible prayer. Now, you say an impossible prayer. With God, all things are possible. Just hear my definition, okay? All right. <clears throat> In other words, you're praying for someone. But at the same time you're praying for someone, that person that you're praying for, let's say you're praying for a husband's salvation, a wife's salvation, a son's salvation. You're saying, Lord, save my son. And your son is saying, when God speaks to him, but I don't want to be saved. I don't want to be saved. God, save my son. And your son says, but I don't want to be saved. Can God save a person against his will? Obviously not. So you are praying what I consider an impossible prayer. Now, in other words, I call it an impossible prayer because before that prayer can be answered by God, there must be an attitude change that takes place inside of the mind and the heart of that son. And you see, this is what has happened here. Cornelius prayed to God. Up until this point, no Gentile had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is the first outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon Gentiles. All right? Now, here's what happened. This man had prayed and prayed and prayed. And I can just see the Lord, you know, looking. And, and he, he every time he looks out. Now, this is this is fictitious what I'm saying now, but... I'm just painting this in a way in which you see. Every time the Lord kind of parted the curtains and looked out on the earth, he saw this big monument. And, he, you know, he had to look around. I can't see anything down there. There's, there's something in front of me. Cornelius' prayers. In other words, God had to reckon with those prayers. I'm going to have to do something about this. This man loves me. This man's been praying. But you see, Gentiles had not been saved. So every time God looked out, not only did he see, 
those prayers, he saw this big stack of money. Now, one man told me one time, he said, you know, I quit going to church because all the preacher wants is money. He told me this. He told me this at his father's funeral. I'd never met the man before. I was preaching his father's funeral. I happened to be the pastor of some of uh, a couple of his brothers. And so he said, I quit going because all the preacher wants is money. And it kind of disturbed me. You know, I went back to him. I said, you know, I wish you wouldn't stop going because the preacher wants money. Why don't you let that be his problem? I said, but could it be that maybe you stopped going because you're in love with money? Maybe that's why it's so offensive. Maybe it's not the preacher's got the problem. Maybe it's you. He said, I guess maybe I never really thought of that. I said, well, what you need to do, you need to think about this. Now, you can say what you want to, but this is Scripture. I'm not taking this out of the Sunday funnies. I mean, this is coming out of the Bible. God not only saw this huge tower. Now, I told you this is, this is my own imagination. When God looked out, he said, I can't. I look over this way and I see his prayers. I look over this way and I see this pile of money. And God says, I've got to reckon with this. So what's he going to do? Well, until this time, no Gentile had been saved. And it was in his plan to save Gentiles. So Cornelius becomes the first man, the first Gentile to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And see, that's what happens when you pray for people that says, but I don't want. After a while, God sees your prayer and says, I've got to reckon with this. Now what I'm going to have to do is change a circumstance in this individual's life to cause this person that you've been praying for to have an attitude change or a heart change. And the Lord kind of began to mesh circumstances together. You know, a, a near accident. A close brush with death. Health problems. Pain in the body. All kinds of problems. That's what God can do. And all of these then gets the person conditioned to say yes to his maker. Now Cornelius was just that type of person. I mean, he prayed. He sought the Lord. It was his own prayers that went up as a memorial. It was not the fact that somebody else was praying for him, but he was just walking in all the light that he knew. He was a good man. But Cornelius was not saved. It was his commitment that moved God to saving him, his prayers, his alms. But nevertheless, his alms didn't save him, his prayers didn't save him, it moved God to save him. Only God can save. Salvation is not your faith. Salvation is not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ brings salvation. Praying brings salvation. Fasting brings salvation. Belief in God brings salvation. 
But it is not your fasting. It is not your praying. It's not your faith. Those bring salvation. But only Jesus is salvation. His name shall be called Emmanuel. Which being interpreted as God with us. His name shall be called Jesus. For He shall save. Oh, hallelujah. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can save. Now... What I'd like to do is turn back to John, the the third chapter. And I'm going to have to hurry through some of this. But I I do want you to understand what the Scripture is teaching. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. He said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Now Jesus gives a very precise, precise set of instructions concerning entering into the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know what it is. I guess it's the ego of man. But uh, there are some people that feel that, you know, they got this special little thing going between Jesus. And uh, that God will make an exception. Well, you have to understand, God makes an exception for every man. The original law stated that the soul that sinneth shall surely die. If God had not have made an exception, nobody would be saved. And, and and you will find in the Scripture, that's, that's what the Scripture is making reference to. It's making reference to the exception. Except a man be born of water and of spirit. That is the exception. Now, <clears throat> I've searched this Bible. I've carefully combed the pages of the New Testament. If you can find exception past this, I, I'd like to see it. Now, this is what Jesus said. All right, let's just look at it. Verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now notice the word cannot, C-A-N-N-O-T. All right? Verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now notice what he did. He spoke of the exception, that God will make an exception, but the exception is limited to this. That's the reason why this word C-A-N N-O-T is found. All right? Now, let's just deal with some definitions. What does the word cannot mean? Anybody want to help me out? Now, I'm a little bit amazed when I looked in the dictionary. I, I didn't think it was proper to define a word using the word in the definition. But Webster does this. <laughs> 
<clears throat> this is a dictionary definition. Cannot means that which cannot be otherwise. <laughs> that kind of blew me away. <clears throat> but then I thought about what Brother Hollis preached. And when he, he, he preached the message, no, it was Brother Gilstrap. And, and he used the word shall as found in Acts 2.38. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the definition was the very same as the definition of cannot. It's just that one is used in a negative sense and the other is used in a positive sense. You follow what I'm saying? So, <clears throat> the opposite of cannot, I'm assuming because of the definition of cannot and the definition of shall, the opposite, because one is in the negative and one is in the positive, the opposite of cannot would be shall. Now, just, just follow me through. Let's turn to Acts, the second chapter. All right. Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. <clears throat> and after he preached Jesus, the Bible says these people were stirred in their hearts. They said unto Peter, the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 37. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now notice what he says. The promise is unto you. So we find basically the same definition, but in a positive sense. Now, if, if you will, and also in John, let's turn back to, to, to Mark. Striving and pushing. If you want to be saved, you must believe. Now, it's not your belief that saves you. That's, that's not it at all. But it is your belief that brings Bible salvation. It is your first approach to God. So... That's what you have to do to be saved. If you if you want to be lost, guess what you have to do? Just take a guess. Look at Mark 16. What do you have to do if you want to be lost? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And if that was your answer, you are correct. You just don't do anything. Because Bible salvation requires a positive response to God. That's exactly what Carnelius was doing in Acts 10. He was responding to God in every way that he knew. The problem was that he didn't know everything. And that's the reason why that Peter went down there and preached. If you will, uh, let's, let's look at the, the, the latter part of the chapter there. <clears throat> Peter goes down and preaches. Peter starts his sermon on, in verse 34 of Acts 10. Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with God. I want you to notice this. Worketh righteousness. Worketh righteousness. 
worketh righteousness. And then he ends up by talking about Jesus being hanged on the tree, verse 39. God raised him up, showed him openly. He appeared unto many witnesses, ordained or chosen before God. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. In other words, you have to believe in him to receive remission of sins. But while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now let me just pause, and I'm going to put my title back into this. Why good men go to hell. You know why good men go to hell? Because you can't be saved without God. You may say he had God. He did not have the Holy Ghost. He had a walk with God. The Holy Ghost was leading him, but he was not baptized with the Spirit. That's why Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he can not. See, Jesus said in John 10, I am the door of the sheepfold. If a man cometh up any other way, He's the same as a thief and a robber. Do you know the reason why that Jesus Christ had to come into the world? Do you know the reason why that Jesus Christ had to bleed and die on the cross? Because you can't be saved. You can't be saved without Jesus. You can't be. Now, the working of righteousness, uh, that is very, very important. But on the other hand... That's not what saves you. Now, in, in my closing remarks, I'd like for you to turn to Isaiah 64, 6. I just want to explain a scripture. <clears throat> Isaiah 64, 6. But we all, all... But we are all as unclean thing, as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name. Now, while the Bible talks about the importance of righteous living, righteous doing, There is something in the subconscious of man that he feels if he's doing right, he's going to be saved. No, you're saved because of God. In other words, you can't get good enough to take your sins away. It's going to take his blood. You can't get holy enough to live in the holy city. It takes God. And while your righteousness may move God, and while your faith may move God, if you com- if you think in your own mind that what you're doing is saving you, uh, 
No, that's not true. It's going to be God that saves you. And any time that you think that just righteous doing is what's saving you, the Lord says, look, you go ahead and do what you want to do. Don't alter anything you're doing. But if I am not there to save you, I don't care how much money you give. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care how much you come to church. You can pay your tithes twice on Sunday. You can't be saved without God. And the only problem that Cornelius had was that he just didn't have a knowledge of what he needed to do. I think there's a lot of people that fit in that category today. Good people as far as goodness is concerned. People that obviously love God. Your love for God will create circumstances in which God will lead you to divine truth. But you have to understand that church attendance and everything else would not mean a thing without God grace in your life, taking your sins away and filling you with his spirit. I want you to stand. Oh, thank you, Lord. Don't you love him? Don't you understand how much you need him? Oh, God. I just feel the Holy Ghost coming down right now in this place. Lord, anoint this atmosphere with your presence. Talk to us all today, Lord. For Jesus, we need you. We need you, God. We want our praise singers to sing, and while your heads are bound, Anyone here who recognizes a need of Bible salvation, why don't you just step right out and come on down to the front and just stand here in front of the pulpit and around the front. We have Christian workers throughout the building. Be glad to come and assist you and pray with you. Come on now as they sing. For only Jesus can satisfy that's it come on some of you come and pray with Shell and this lady would you come on